Hi there and welcome to the Team 14 Rugby, the Global Rugby Club, and we're bringing you content based on passion, integrity and respect, and today is an absolutely massive video. It's a biggie for us, lots of passion and lots of respect. We're talking about American rugby. Rugby in America. The sleeping giant. The false dawn. Oh, we've heard it all before. Yeah. What we haven't heard and haven't seen are the patterns that are emerging in the way they're starting to develop the game in the United States, and I am absolutely peaking. And if, if they get it right, Steve, it's not only going to only change rugby in America, it's going to change rugby around the world. And yeah, that sleeping giant thing, you know, America will never come to the party. It's There's a little bit of elitism in tier one, hate that term tier one and tier two. But if we look at the Rugby World Cup and in our Global Games video, we spoke about the two poker tables of world rugby. We've got the Six Nations and we got the Rugby Championship. They play away with each other, they mind each other, they make a lot of money, and every four years they get together and have a nice party and see who's the best. They call it the Rugby World Cup. The Northern, and since 1997, 31 years of Rugby World Cups, there's been one Northern Hemisphere team winning. The great teams, like in the top eight, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, never got Rugby World Cup final even. So this elitism and the sense of achievement is really a, a false kind of thing. And it's, to me, it's about respect. And there's rugby people in tier two countries, great rugby people that have to go out of their way. I've lived in the States, being in at bars in Santa Monica and Venice, say on a Tuesday night after training, you'd see a rugby club, rugby team down in the corner of the bar wearing their rugby jackets and stuff, really proud people. Um, these people are true rugby people. They go out of their way to get to training, lots of traveling that to really sniff out any kind of coaching stuff going on. Up until, like, just the recent past, you couldn't go into a sports store in the States and buy a pair of rugby shorts or headgear. So these are real rugby people that deserve real respect, and I think it's common. Yeah, in 31 years, World Cups, what's to say in 31 years' time, they're not there or thereabouts, knocking on the door, semi-finals, finals. You know, this is this is where it could go. I think they're going to get there sooner than that, Steve. Yeah, well, well we will see. Yeah. But today's a huge show, like I said. We've got Earful of Dirt podcast in the States, guys on the ground doing great work over there. We've got Gordon Hanlon, the coach. He's coached in the US. He's coached in New Zealand. He's a pro coach in Europe. We're going to discuss how the Olympics has changed everything in US rugby and yeah. possibly in global rugby. It's 100 days for the Sevens World Cup. Oh, and that happens to be in San Francisco. Yeah, the biggest calling card for rugby recruitment in the States ever. And when we talk about recruitment, we're talking about players, supporters, referees, fans, everything. Oh, They're, they're going bone deep on this. And then we've got the MLR. Yeah. It's all happening for the States. So, all right, you've got some numbers, Steve. Some crazy stats. So the growth of rugby in America between 2004 and 2011, 350%. We don't have the, I don't have access to these numbers from 2011. What we are hearing is that year on year on year, it's increasing and other sports are decreasing. But the number that really blew my mind was when I was reading an article on CNN. The US rugby site, USA Rugby, normally has between 200 and 300,000 visitors a day. For the six days when the sevens were on at the Rio Olympics, 35 million people a day. Wow. 200 and, what, 210 million in six days, visited that site. It has captured the imagination of that sleeping giant. Yeah. And let's hope it wakes up. And we don't have a truly global game. Those poker tables are not playing real poker. Sorry for the cheesy pun, unless these guys are playing. No, they're not. They're not. 
Like, it's kind of baby stuff until America joined the party. So we're really excited by it. Maybe not winning World Cups and stuff like that. We're excited by American kids starting to play rugby because yeah. there's so many of them. Yeah, spreading the game. Yeah. So let's have a look at the achievements of these great rugby people. In the men's, they've won two Olympic golds, 1920 and 1924 for rugby. They've been ever-present in every single Rugby World Cup, bar one. And this year is a special year for them. For the first time ever, they've qualified for a Rugby World Cup as America's number one. So they're showing progress, and that's for um, Rugby World Cup 2019. Yeah, and in the women's game, the women have won one World Cup, but they've been there or thereabouts since the beginning of time, since the beginning of women's rugby. Yeah. I had looked through some stats, and I was trying to correlate them and see who you could compare them to in the men's game. I found some interesting stuff when I looked at it. They've got just over a 50% win ratio, about 53% in the tests they've played. And only three teams in the history of the game have got a better win record against them. That's the England women, the French women, and the New Zealand women. So I was looking at the men's game. Okay, who can I translate that to? Oh, and who, who do we see? The English men's team. Both teams have won one World Cup. The English men's team win around 55% of their tests. And they've got winning records of less than 50% against four That's nations. New nice. Zealand, South Africa, Australia, and Wales. So no one would ever, you know, when you talk about rugby, you talk about the men's game, England are there or thereabouts. The United States women's team are there or thereabouts always. That's fantastic. And then we talk about sevens, the game that has captured the imagination, the 35 million clicks a day on the United States website. Since the last Sevens World Cup, the United States have won two tournaments. Two tournaments. The only teams to win more tournaments than Fiji, obviously the famous Fiji and Sevens team, the South Africans, the Blitzbok, the New Zealanders, and England have won three. So the Americans are fifth in that list. And the World Cup this year is in their backyard. And the last time a tournament was in their backyard, they won it. Wow. So if we're looking at the structures of their game, Steve, well, again, all right, Ireland have just won a Grand Slam. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not dissing Ireland at all. I'm so proud of this incredible season for Ireland. But if we look at our women's program, all right, we, we can achieve and then we slack back. America are achieving all the time in their women's. And the sevens program, Ireland can't get into it. We're trying hard at the moment. But they're the two big growth areas in world rugby, sevens and women's. And America are, if they're not dominating it, they're certainly at the top table. And this is a country without a great structure in the past. And now they have one. And we want to start to look at their structure. And this is why we're getting excited. The structures that they have in place for 15s. Here's a look at their club structure. It's divided into two leagues, east and west. The men's have four divisions and the women's have three divisions. Huge numbers of people playing at club level. Then we've got high-profile competitions like the USA Sevens held in Las Vegas draws over 60,000 fans. That's broadcast on a major TV network. Then we get the Collegiate Rugby Championship held every June and draws around 20,000 fans and also broadcast on major TV network. So from the outside, there's three ways that Americans get into sports and consume their sports. I'm talking about supporters and fans. We've got the college setup that leads into the pro games, and then we've got the Olympics. And if you're outside those three, your, your, your sport is lost, and that's where rugby was. And all the, the structures and the, the lack of players and referees and coaches and all of that kind of stuff that America's been plagued with is really irrelevant if people can't actually see the game and actually even know what it is. So what's changed now is that rugby are part of that threesome. They got in through the Olympics and it's changed everything. Changed everything probably forever. Yeah. As long as rugby is at the Olympics and it was a huge success, America are going to be there. And this is incredible. Those numbers that I regurgitated before, the 300,000 clicks on the USA website, goes to 35 million a day. 
that's uptick of 120 times, not 120%, 120 times the engagement. The United States teams didn't make the semifinals. They, didn't, they weren't in the medal race yet. People were consuming rugby across the board all the way to the final. And this is where it's changed. This is the big difference from before. Yeah. The big broadcast networks, they got a shock. Like, oh, wow, look at this. It, it, it exceeded the expectations. The interviews you read, the interviews you watch on TV, that's what they're saying, it exceeded expectations. Yeah, so this market snuck up and slapped them across the face and they saw that there's an audience here keen to watch, and it's the Sevens brand, yeah. but they've done their research on it, they've fed people more Sevens, and now what they're starting to do is put the Fifteens brand in behind it. So for the first time this year, the Six Nations, can you imagine it? The for, for the first time in history, the Six Nations was available to view over there. That's preposterous for me to think of as an yeah. Irishman. Certainly, I think but, it was on linear TV or yeah. at prime time, it's something ridiculous. Like it's, like it's into the consciousness now. Yeah, so they couldn't get access to this sport. They didn't know what the hell it was. So if you get right into middle America, now guys have seen the Six Nations, they can get access to the Aviva Premiership, I believe. They've got a 10-year plan, the big broadcast networks, to get, they're looking at super rugby. They're looking at all the top packages of rugby to give to Americans because they know there's a market there for it. If there's a market, the big brands are getting involved. If it's involved in the Olympics, school programs are going to change and get involved in the schools as well, which has been a massive missing part of the chain for the nuances of the game at an early level. Yeah, so this is, this is what I'm talking about, the 35,000 people now taking it up at high school. That number is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They learn the nuances at a younger age, they become better rugby players. They turn up to teenagers, to 20-year-olds. They're 10 years ahead of where they would have been 10 years ago. Yeah. So this is, these are the patterns that have, have emerged, but the big, the big one is the broadcasters coming to the party. Yeah, it's like it's, and this is why we're excited by yeah. it. More kids taking up rugby. And America, you know, all countries are complex politically and, and, and they've got their own stuff going on. But America, the sports structure for foreign sports has always been, you know, a bit puzzling yeah. for those of us outside of the States. It's now on their TV sets and the digital distributors are going to get into it. And we asked Dan over an earful of dirt podcast in the States, how Americans consume their sports on TV. For an American sports fan, there aren't too many international sports. Everything is really played in the U.S. Um, sometimes we play Canada, um, but honestly, as Americans, we don't really focus too much on, on like a Canadian rivalry. Um, soccer does have an international feel, but soccer is um, growing in popularity, but definitely not you know one of the top two or three really um, sports that are up there. Um, so for me, there, there, there's local sports, there's baseball, there's basketball, there's hockey, uh, there's football. It's all pretty much going on at the same time. Uh, there's obviously different seasons, but there's um, lots of overlap right now. Basketball and hockey are going into playoffs. Baseball is just starting, so I could, be, I could turn on the TV and have three or four different sports going on at the same time. So it's really you know, kind of sensory overload with everything going on at the same time, but there's really... There's always something to be following, and it's 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 really fascinating. So watching sport all day on a Sunday sounds like my yeah. dream <laughs> dream day. And then we asked them, "Is there any room for rugby?" Because it's like you know, there's so much beaming into them. And this is what he had to say: "There's there's always room um, because I said that there are those four major sports plus soccer, really. Um, but there's also actual college sports too, which is a whole different world. Basketball, football are really the biggest." Um, I think people are always just looking for sports to watch. There's always guys on Saturday or Sunday just sitting on their couch, just flipping through channels, just trying to watch something. Um, 
that's definitely a big thing with with um, with college football. So I can definitely see it fitting in there. Brilliant. There's room for rugby. This is really exciting, Steve. So let's look at the top of the tree over there, like in the male game, the USA Eagles, the national 15 aside game. So they're at last, they've got a proper international structure. So they've got November Test Series, they've got June Series, and now they've got their own Six Nations running at the time of the Six Nations called the America's Rugby Championship. North and South America get together, USA, Argentina, their second team, Chile, Canada, Uruguay, and Brazil. And they travel to each other, they're playing each other, they're developing their structures, they're also bringing in their own referees to develop their referees on this structure. And this is where we start to see they're getting bone deep in their structures. The World Rugby Global Calendar Agreement that came out in March of last year also committed to a long-term agreement to create matches between, 39% more matches between Tier 1 and Tier 2 countries. The Tier 1 countries have to tour, say, the Pacific Islands, Japan, USA, Canada, Georgia, Romania, etc. This is massive for the states, so they can get better. It also means, with the MLR coming up, their domestic players can stay in America and play and be controlled and hopefully centrally contracted. And we're very excited about some of the stuff that uh, Dan Payne, their CEO, has been talking about and selecting their new coach. So they've got more continuity in a new coach. Gary Gold has been selected because of his experience in, with continuity in teaching other coaches. This is very interesting. Like This is one of the reasons he is selected. Obviously, a very, very good coach. But this experience is, this is showing that the Americans are going to be patient. Yeah. So Dan Payne's got a quote here. We need to invest today to get the rewards in 10 to 15 years. So start to imagine that mindset. This isn't a plaster they're putting on a problem. They're fixing whatever problems they've got at the ground, at the grassroots level. They're looking for cameramen teaching cameramen how to shoot. So you, when you're watching rugby in different countries, you'll see that the angles of photos and videos in this are different. And that's what we mean about going bone deep. Yeah, they're it, doing it properly. Yeah, and when they're talking about it, they're talking the right language. So you hear teams start talking the right language and they're becoming successful. And they're talking, they want to increase participation. They want to grow awareness. But the growing of awareness, you can, that's just, you can say that, yeah. but the, the emphasis is on development community rugby, which obviously we, we're loving here at the 10-14, and youth rugby. The youth rugby is key to this whole puzzle. If they can start getting it out there, those kids are going to be coming through in 10 or 15 years with the skill sets and all the support structure that the United States can afford yeah. in their sporting world. Who knows? And this they've, is... They've been very smart as well, Steve, at the top of the tree in the professional level. Our two countries went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Ireland beat the All Blacks in Chicago. Every video, every single video that comes up. Does it? Does it? <laughs> <laughs> but those two guys, it yeah. was a, a commercial exercise, those guys yeah. were brought over there. The Aviva Premiership, they've played matches over in the States. And what's great about this is when they bring those guys over, they're trying to introduce the game to the public, but they're really leeching on the experience and the intellectual property from the players, the coaches, the administrators that these teams are bringing over into the States. They've been told... They've been requested to go down into grassroots level. American players, pro players are coming in and they're just soaking up that IP. They're like sponges. Referees, administrators, the, across the whole, it's the bone deep thing again. And that's and this what's, this what's getting me excited about this. Look, Steve, look, the pro teams are looking at an American team at the moment. Of course they are. The Crusaders are involved in one of the teams. It's this, just really interesting. This is very interesting. The Crusaders, I think it's with the Seattle team yeah. and the MLR. 
This is the Crusaders who are statistically, I think, twice as successful as any other club on the planet in the professional era. Yeah. Like the Heineken Cup, I think that's been won four times. Crusaders have won it eight times. Yeah. And these guys, this is this is the heartbeat of New Zealand rugby. So listen, guys, this isn't us throwing out a video to try and jump onto an American audience. We're not pandering here. If the Crusaders are getting involved. Listen, if the Americans do this right, they've got 300 million people there. Is that what it is? I think that's what, that's what Dan Payne said it is. The other unions are going to come. The other competitions are going to be looking for American teams. Yeah. World rugby, if it wants to grow and become a truly global sport, we keep saying it, needs America. Yeah, and it won't be players won't be going to France, they won't be going to England, they won't no. be going to Japan at the end of their careers. And it's this big signing, the yeah. big signing. So David Beckham's because the Americans love this big signing. They love signing. the star, and they said, and, and again, the CEO of American rugby, Dan Payne, has said, yes, they're aware of the star factor. Yeah. Yes, we have to give them stars. Ibrahimovic just recently. I it's incredible. What, yeah. I'll tell you what, Steve. If I was playing now and finishing my international career, um, I'd be looking at the States. Totally. Like, you know, the sports science they've got over there, they know how to take care of their athletes. <laughs> they like, keep, keep you going for a few more years. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to learn another language. No, no. You know, so, when, you, when you're bringing your kids over in schools and yeah. stuff like that, Japan or France, where yeah. the big money is. So, yeah. So, the, this, is, this is exciting. Yeah. And then yeah. comes that. Okay, you go. Before we go to the, the MLR, sorry, Steve, the one last thing I want to touch on. Traditionally, American pro rugby athletes have kind of come from other sports, the guys that, you know, weren't quite achieving, and they've just got such a platter of elite athletes over there. Obviously, they've got to get into colleges. They're there. They've got to get proper programs into high schools, and that's going to come. But in the interim, they've got this set up at the moment where they've got 110 athletes playing in secondary school, in high school, that are on NCAA Division One basketball. They've got football, soccer, plus other sports, right? Rugby, they've been training for about five years in rugby as their second choice sport. So if these guys don't make it into the pro setup on, the, on their first choice sport, they've got five years of the rugby nuances and they're ready at 22 years old to jump into rugby. At, and the quality of athletes they get over there is frightening. It is frightening. And now, and now, the MLR is coming on board. Yeah. So, so the MLR isn't coming on board and these guys are sort of bigging it up. Rugby's arrived. Yeah. The Sevens has made it arrive already. Rugby is there, it's arrived, the contracts are in place for television, that's all going yeah. on. And that was all happening. That's what we're excited about. Now the MLR, there's bonus television signing ons going on for that. Like this is actually a side platter on the side. And this is what's this is what could change the professional game in in the other top ten countries. Yeah, and this is really interesting. So there's a lot of people people will immediately go to MLS, Major League Soccer or as we call it yeah. football out here. And, you know, they'll have this, that, and the other to say, okay, well, look at the American team. They're not at the Football World Cup, Soccer World Cup this year. It's, a, it's largely irrelevant. The MLS is there to get the grassroots there. Like, Italy aren't at the World Cup yeah, this you year. Yeah, that point earlier Italy on, yeah. aren't at the yeah. World Cup. Like, like, this is ridiculous. So saying, okay, well, just because they're getting a league, their team should win the World Cup. No, 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 no. no. This is getting people to the table. Yeah. It's a product. I've got some stats here. In the last nine years, the value of the MLS clubs has gone up 602% on average per club wow. in 10 years, nine years. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. The number of games has over doubled since the MLS started. Like, the, the people attending the game has increased by 25%. But because there's more games being played, a lot more games being played, 
The number of people attending the matches has quadrupled in 20 years. 8.7 million people go through the gates to MLS games. The Premier League, the English Premier League, is 13 million. So that's the big daddy. That's the probably the biggest sporting event on the planet, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, and when, this is, is, when is the English team last won a World Cup? Yeah, so if, if we're looking at that lens... Yeah, that you if you're looking at that lens, that's an interesting lens to look through. Yeah. So this is... I'm so excited about the MLR. Like, so excited about the MLR. So Dan, over on Earful of Dirt podcast as well in the States, got onto us kindly and educated us a little bit about the MLR. And first off, we asked him, you know, what are the teams? And not only what are the teams... Where do they come from? Because this is this is interesting to see where they come from and sort of why they're there. Yeah. So the teams we have are uh, Glendale Raptors, which are based in Colorado, right outside Denver. We have the Houston Sabercats, based in Texas. Austin Elite Rugby, also based in Texas. Uh, we have the NOLA Gold, which is based in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, San Diego Legion, based in Southern California. Utah Warriors, based obviously in Utah. And the Seattle Seawolves, which are based in Washington State. We only have one confirmed team for next year, and that's Rugby United New York, which that is a placeholder name. It will change sometime by the end of this year. Um, they are definitely going to join next year. Um, there's been a lot of press on them so far because the owner is Irish, and the other owner is actually a former WWE wrestler, so that, that alone is, is kind of entertaining. Um, there's also the Ontario Arrows, which are based in Toronto, in Canada. Uh, they aren't confirmed for next year, but they're a very professional outlet, which is actually based off of the Ontario Blues, a provincial side that tours every single year. Um, they kind of made that into a professional outlet. And while they haven't officially confirmed they're going to join next year, we've been hearing lots of rumblings that they are you know, planning to submit within the next month or so. So all the cities were picked because there was an owner who wanted to front the money for it basically um we know that they had to put up a, a certain bond i believe you know i've been hearing really wide range of amounts of money anywhere from five hundred thousand to over two million um so that's obviously the biggest part they need to have someone who can actually put up the money but the other thing is that a lot of these are, are put in existing rugby communities the the glendale team um that's actually a really interesting case because for the past 10 years, the, the city actually built a rugby-specific stadium there. So they've been hosting lots of rugby tournaments, rugby sevens tournaments, college tournaments, and lots of things in that park. And the city's actually really behind it. So that's one reason why Glendale has been there. Um, Austin actually has, I think, two D1 clubs. D1 being the highest level of club rugby in the U.S., the Austin... Huns and the Austin Blacks both have a great rivalry for the past, I think, about 40 or 50 years now. Um, Houston has one of the, I think it has one of the fastest growing youth rugby programs. I didn't know too much about Houston beforehand, but apparently it's growing a lot. There's a lot of space there to grow. Um, I think there are about five or six million people based in the Houston metro area. Um, I'm not too familiar with NOLA, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, San Diego is also interesting because Chula Vista is right outside of San Diego. And that's where the Olympic Training Center is. That's where the Eagles essentially go all the time to train before all their international tours. So it makes sense to put something there. Um, Utah Warriors, there's a very large Pacific Islander community based there. Um, that's actually because the Mormons who are based in Utah, 
um, went on missions, uh, went to Pacific Islands, brought a lot of Pacific Islanders, I'm sorry, Pacific Islanders back with them, which also brought rugby back with them. So it's a really interesting community there. Um, you'll see that a lot too with the actual club. Um, there are a lot of Pacific Islanders, a couple Kiwis too on the team too. So it adds a real sort of Pacific Islander flair. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, Seattle, which is based up in the Pacific Northwest, um, they've been home to the Seattle Saracens, which is one of the stronger clubs in the country. They actually play in the BC Rugby Union. So they uh, play against Canadian teams in a really strong club competition. And they've had a great history there for the past, I'd say, 50, 60 years now. So I found it really interesting about Utah, the you know, Polynesian, Pacific Island base there. And I can't wait to see those guys play. And the flavor of rugby that they're going to bring into an American competition, that's, yeah. that's exciting. In San Diego, where the Eagles are based, like there has to be a team there. Eagles are going down there to be based. That is also a wise move. It's well structured, isn't it? One of the big problems with the New Zealand Sevens team that they've said about not making, going on to continue to win, is they weren't based in an area. They weren't, and now they've set it up just down the road. So you've got to have that structure in place. And then we asked Dan about the structure of the competition. The, the regular season is 10 weeks. The, each team will play eight games, and each team will also have two bye weeks. This is something that um, is sort of necessary just to fit into the format, but the league has also um, really placed priority on player safety, and the whole length of play has become really important in the past couple of years. So each team will play eight games, and then the best four teams will move on to the playoffs to semifinals and then finals. Uh, we don't know the exact uh, exact setting, if it's going to be um, bonus points or just straight win or loss, uh, but that's something we'll figure out within the next couple of weeks. And finally, for Dan, like, what were his hopes for the MLR? What are his hopes for the MLR? Where's it going to take the United States? For hopes for MLR, um, there are a couple I can think of. The first one would be to provide high-performance opportunity for Eagles to, to play. Um, I would imagine that the goal is that within the next few years, there won't be any more amateur players um, who would be playing for the Eagles. It's really dwindled down a lot. So I think in the ARC, which just took place in February, which is essentially the six nations for um, North and South America, there are only a few amateur players. So I guess the goal within the next few years, there won't be any more amateur players. They'll all be playing professionally. They'll at least make some sort of a living playing, and they'll also be playing against really the best players in the country. Um, the second would be to provide opportunities for new players who aren't currently in the Eagle system. And I think to really uncover hidden gems, um, there are oftentimes a lot of players who are doing really great things with their local club, but because there isn't any kind of tape on them, there's no way for them to really get in contact with the, the head coach or anything like that. Um, it's tough for them to really make it to the Eagles. So I think with having a league like this, there could be players who are absolutely phenomenal, who you haven't seen, but now there's actual um, tape on them. So that, that's something that, that could really help a lot. Um, the third, I think, would really be to increase awareness of rugby in the U.S. and create more fans and players. Um, this is something I, I think is really important because, one, people can actually understand what rugby is rather than just saying oh it's it's football without pads um it's something that, that people can can watch and at least understand a bit but also create more players especially at a younger age um 
one through awareness of the sport, but two also because the teams are all putting on their own academy systems um, through creating this. You know, we're not 100% sure exactly what the academy systems look like right now, um, but it looks like a lot of collaboration with local youth rugby, college rugby, high school rugby, and just making sure that they have um, really a, a place to to play high quality rugby and have high quality coaches too. Um, my final hope is is really just to for the league to last more than one season. We had one a couple of years back, only lasted one season, but we were given this taste of professional rugby. So we're we're really excited to see um, what can come from this. Thanks so much, Earful of Dirt. So we're reaching out to you guys in the states. If you're an American rugby supporter, if you love your team, if you're involved in a local club, we'd love to hear your story, how you got involved in this great game. And there's plenty of people around the world that would like to hear it as well. If you can download our app, join the team and come right with us. Yeah, there's a lot of people just like you guys writing for us, spreading the word. It's good fun. Get amongst it. Yeah, we want to know about the MLR. We want to hear your perspective on the sport. And now we're going to jump over to Gordon Hanlon. He's coach in New Zealand. He's coach in the States. He's currently professional coach, director of rugby in Germany. And we asked him a few questions. One of the questions was so it's around, around coaching is, how can American coaches get better? There's no pathway. So there's no um, natural progression of how you can uh, improve the coaching. Like, for example, in New Zealand, Mike Cron will go around, but when not with the All Blacks, he will go around to clubs every single day of the week and he will teach some, teach the coaches how to coach the scrum or, or work on the breakdown or work on line-out attack and, 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 and just the nuances like that. There's no... There's no kind of like a mentorship or, 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 or development program. But, I mean, the country is so big, it, it, it's, it's hard to implement a program that would work in New Zealand or Ireland, for example, in the U.S. Because it's just, it's just, you don't realize just how big it is till you get there. And like an away game is a six-hour drive. Always great to get Gordon's insight. And the next question we asked him, what was the difference in coaching rugby athletes in New Zealand and in America? Yeah, when when a lot of the players haven't grown up with the game, like, you know, <laughs> I always joke that you, you kind of learn that the space and depth when you're eight or nine years old, you know, when, when the one kid gets the ball and has to run backwards all the way around to go forward again. But when, when, when the majority haven't grown up with the game, you don't understand the why, you know, that we don't have enough high-level competition or experience. Why are we trying to do this? You know, there's the... If we look at like or think about it from a, like a two layers of attack point of view, like at the game on or behind, which has kind of crept in from rugby league in, in recent years, well, the, the, the athletes don't really understand that. They don't understand why they're doing it. Now, if it comes from a basketball or a football mentality, if you put it up on a whiteboard, you know, you move the pieces around, they will do it exactly as you planned but they kind of won't know why they're doing it. So that, that's the big thing is to, to, to give that game sense, you know, you have to play more and you have to compete more and they have to experiment. And sometimes it's going to work or sometimes they're going to get smashed behind the game. So on top of learning the nuances of the game and, and specific skills, that we, we asked Gordon, what's the, what's the one big challenge that they can overcome to improve their rugby sort of tenfold? Position-specific skills. Um, as, as a coach and also as an athlete, understanding what's required of the certain positions. You know, uh, at the Crusaders, Brad Moore did a halfback um, skill session twice a week in the mornings all year round. 
because he, the number nines needed to get better. There's nothing like that kind of exists in the U.S. Um, guys are great athletes, phenomenal athletes. They understand how to lift weights. They understand what a daily training environment is, but they have no idea how to go off and improve their lineout throwing by themselves, for example. They'll just stand there and they'll just throw against the pole, but they won't understand. They have to break down the mechanics and and and, and the little little like micro skills that are needed. And and that that's the big one. It, it, and the same with the coaches as well. So majority of coaches in the USA are all head coaches. Um, there's no specific coaching. There's no like I, we had uh, here in Germany uh, an ex Blue Bulls and Springbok um, scrum coach over uh, yesterday working with the professional team. And he was talking about his goals and he said, oh, I might like to take a role as a forwards coach, but I really, I just want to focus on the scrum. There, there aren't those co type of coaches in the USA. In cities like take Dallas, for example, where I lived and you have eight or nine teams and potentially about 20 to 30 coaches. All, all of them are head coaches. Or maybe a couple of them will be a backs coach here or there, but there's no plan like that. Like, in, in my mind, that city should get together. They should work on things. Okay, you four guys go off and just focus on attack for the year. You four focus on defense. And then the, the, the quality of the rugby will actually improve because the quality of the coaching will improve. Um, so that's the position-specific skills from a player's point of view uh, and, and also from a coach's point of view. We need more specialist coaches in the country. And lastly, we asked Gordon, how is the MLR going to change the coaching landscape in the States? So, yeah, with, 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 the, with the MLR and, and the introduction of the, the professional environments, um, I know that, or I'm sorry, I believe that the seven clubs, are their head coaches are all uh, non-Americans, but there's a lot of Americans in assistant roles. And I think one of the mandates in the MLR is to go out into the community. It, it is to boost the local level because they need um, local athletes to... Uh, support the senior team. So if you have these top-level coaches who are focused on position-specific skills or or certain areas going into the community, going working with the local senior clubs, working with the universities, working with the high schools, and even, even below that, then it's not going to be a quick process. But over time, the, 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 the quality uh, of the player and, and, and the rugby education and IQ is going to improve drastically. So in four or five years time, you know, guys who are 17 and 18 now, they'll be starting to hit their athletic prime with four years of position specific coaching. Like a number nine will know exactly what to do. The centers will know how to draw on space and what they're looking for at the line of attack. Um, so it's, it's really exciting. And it's, it's something that I think is going to make a, a massive difference uh, on the global scale. And that's why so many coaches want to be involved. You know, I know, I know I do myself. It's where else as a coach do you have an opportunity to change the world? You know, it, it sounds, sounds quite, quite grand, but that's the truth. Like America has the best athletes in the world. We just need to harness them and we need to develop an, an American style of rugby. Kind of like what Eddie Jones did at Japan, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's 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 not just a job there. It's it's you're actually making an impact globally, uh, if successful. So it's 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 huge, huge opportunity and really, really exciting. So thanks very much to Gordon and the guys over an earful of dirt podcast. We got through quite a lot on this. Uh, I learned a lot myself, to be honest, Steve, about American rugby. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's crazy what's going on over there. 
MLR starting next week, 100 days to the Sevens World Cup. So good luck for the MLR. If it can't be New Zealand at the Sevens, well, maybe, maybe the US. Ireland out there are going to shout for the US on this one. And guys, if you're involved in rugby clubs in the States, please share this video around. We really respect what you're doing. We're super excited by it. And, um, and that's really genuine from us. So best of luck in the season ahead and best of luck in ripping American rugby all over the rest of the world. Cheers. Thank you.